Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I am your host, Kerry Parker, and we've got today part two of our uh, fascinating interview with Haley Sukiyama from the EFF. Uh, if you missed part one, you're definitely going to go back and check that one out first. Uh, we've been talking about the new California Consumer Privacy Act, or CCPA, and uh, Today, we talked a lot last week about the kind of the details of the bill and sort of the maybe the loopholes and the devils and the details kind of stuff. Uh, but this week, we're talking a little bit more about how this law, like many California laws do, uh, have reached beyond California. And so we'll talk a little bit about how this law may be influencing other state privacy laws and perhaps even federal laws and how they're even synergizing with some existing laws that don't quite overlap, um, but like for instance, the Vermont law, we'll, to get, we'll get into all that stuff. But again, if you haven't heard the, if you didn't hear part one, uh, you probably want to go back and listen to that one first. A couple little news items before we begin. Uh, first of all, this is the third anniversary of the podcast, uh, roughly. <laughs> the very first podcast was on March 8th of 2017. So I guess maybe technically last week was closer to the actual anniversary, but hard to believe I've been doing this for three years now. Time really flies. But I want to take the opportunity to thank you all for listening, and I really appreciate some of the feedback I've received. And if you're really enjoying the show, then uh, please do me a favor and recommend this to other folks. You know, try to spread the word, see if we can get some other listeners. And uh, of course, if you can, putting a nice review on iTunes is always a big help. Definitely plan to keep this one going. I'm really enjoying doing it. Really love the interviews. And I've got several more on the hopper. In fact, I've got a really important one coming up that I can't wait for. I'll, I'll leave you, <laughs> I'll just tease you with that. And hopefully we'll be having that one soon. One more thing before we get back to the interview. My book is on sale. A-Press is having a 40% off everything sale. Uh, that's my publisher. And that would, of course, include my book. So uh, if you want to go to apress.com, you can get my book right now for about 18 bucks, which I think is the cheapest I've personally ever seen it. So if maybe you have an older copy of the book and wanted to get a newer copy, or maybe if you wanted to, uh, you know, give one to a friend, a family member, now would be a great time to pick one up. And I believe... I believe the sale ends March 25th. So we only got about a week left. All right, without further ado, let's get back to part two of our interview with Haley Sukiyama about the California Consumer Privacy Act. And yeah, that's actually a perfect segue because I wanted to start branching out beyond California um, because I know that California is massive and it's a huge economy and things that happen in California don't have effects outside of California. So how might this positively impact the rest of us who are not California residents? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think there are definitely some companies, I think Microsoft in particular has said, you know, because they have to comply with CCPA, they're going to make these, these processes sort of standard across the country. Mm -hmm. So you can make those requests. I think we'll certainly, I mean, I think it's likely that you'll see other companies do that and say, you know, you can, you can make some of these requests. And so that's good. I think uh, also, you know, uh, as you said, I'm legislative activist here. So I look at state level legislation across the country. Um, and I think we've seen a lot of lawmakers say, oh, okay, so California passed this thing, you know, we're seeing, um, they're hearing from their constituents who are upset. So, you know, they are also looking at some data privacy laws. Um, so I think, you know, just a sort of, as an inspiration point, yeah. um, I think that uh, you're certainly seeing a lot more energy around privacy law across the country. And again, perfect segue. So I was going to ask, what what are, 
first of all, are there any other laws on the books already in states and how do they compare? And then maybe what's on the docket, you know, you know what's coming for the people that maybe have been, have been inspired by CPCPA? What, what can we expect to see, what's already there and what can we expect to see uh, from other states? Yeah, there certainly are, you know, CCPA is probably the broadest law, right? It covers the most, uh, the most companies, but there are other states, I should say, who have already good laws on the books. So um, Illinois in particular mm-hmm. has a Biometric Information Privacy Act, uh, which we call BIPA. Um, and that, you know, to the extent that people may have heard of that, that law was uh, actually challenged by Facebook in court. Mm. And um, they recently, the Supreme Court decided not to hear that case. Hmm. And Facebook settled with uh, people and Facebook users in Illinois for, I believe, for using their face prints. Oh, for, yeah, that's right. I read about that. Five, yeah. So for $550 million. Yeah. So, which, you know, sort of to your point about like how much money is matters to Facebook. I mean, you know, maybe if you look at their at their balance sheet, five hundred like half of a billion dollars is not a lot for Facebook, mm-hmm. but they sure fought it, right? So yeah. um, I think they they definitely see the potential for things to 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 impact them. Um, and so and that that law, I should say, has a private right of action. So good for Bippa. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and you know, Vermont has a data broker law, for example, a data broker registry law, so that mm-hmm. people can. About these companies. So, you know, we've certainly seen other states uh, sort of step up. We are, you know, in terms of what's on the docket, I think, um, you know, we are seeing a lot of discussion of bills. We're seeing some bills that are introduced. I think um, in a lot of cases, uh, well, I mean, I think that, so I think there's genuine momentum. And, you know, I think while consumers may feel like uh, it's taken forever to address privacy concerns, like, laws move slowly, mm-hmm. which can be a good thing. But, um, you know, certainly um, when I started as a reporter in 2010, people were talking about a privacy law then. And like, you know, we're still talking about it, but California has one. So um, I think, you know, states are actually kind of stepping up the level of activity around privacy law. We're seeing some CCPA style bills. Industry has certainly taken notice. So there mm. are some bills floating around out there that um, sound really good on privacy and are not. Um, mm. So that is one thing that we have seen come up a lot this year. Um, in particular, right now, we're fighting a bill in Washington, the Washington Privacy Act, um, that is really makes a lot of nice sounding promises about privacy. But if you actually look at it, um, is not super great for consumers. Mm. Um, and so that is another thing that we're seeing is sort of, you know, people saying, oh, well, we should pass these broad privacy laws. And look, you know, uh, one of the big tech companies wrote you one. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is another thing that we're seeing. Well, and one of the other things I've I've read somewhere is that some of these laws, because they're, they don't 100% overlap, like the I think you said Vermont, and I think that was the one that was mentioned in this article, Vermont and CCPA, uh, they have some really interesting synergies because one of the problems with some of these data brokers is most of us don't know who they are. They're, they're, I've read an article said there's somewhere between three and 4,500 data brokers in the U.S. alone, and we don't know who those people are. And you know, so if you don't know who they are, you can't go ask them to not take, you know, not sell your data. But the Vermont law requires them all to register, right? right. So it's like the Vermont law will give you the you know, the list of people you need to go after, and then the California they go after they can go after them. 
Yeah. Um, no, it's definitely, you know, it's, it's interesting. You're absolutely right. Like, it's interesting to see how these play off of each other. One thing that you uh, are able to ask for under CCPA is like, who else uh, see the right to know what information companies have about you, but you can also ask who they've given it to. And so that uh, helps you to some extent also with that. So yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, it is a lot of work, I think, but uh, it is kind of this first level of transparency or at least like i don't know a, a beam of light into this very sort of <laughs> opaque dark uh, ecosystem of of data transfer yeah for sure um so that brings up another interesting question so what about all the data that has already been collected or has already changed hands is it is this this law only like for going forward how far back does it reach you know what about all the stuff that they already have on me yeah. Um, so, <laughs> sorry, I'm just I'm laughing because it is a great law, but yeah, it doesn't do everything. Um, so it is it is on a go forward basis, and you know you will have to make a lot of requests to sort of track down what information they have on you now. I think you know one thing that we want um, to see happen in in privacy law. You know, I mean, again, speaking generally, there are probably cases where it's not true, but, you know, where you would want them to come to you before they collect it. Um, mm. What a novel idea. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that is, uh, you know, sort of on our on our wish list. Um, but, yeah, it's it's not perfect. And, you know, you so, but, as, you know, you have the right to ask for deletion. Um, so that's not nothing. Um, and, uh, you know, so that takes care to some extent of that question, although, you know, in terms of like tracking information that's already changed hands, that's a little bit tougher. It just requires a, a lot of legwork, I think. Do, do these laws, and I guess maybe in particular the Vermont one, but maybe the CCPA to some degree too, are they, are they viewed or can they be viewed as tools for investigative journalists and, and like ProPublica or, or, or you guys to I almost think of it almost like a FOIA request, right? You know, Freedom of Information Act. I mean, these new laws actually give not just individuals, uh, I guess, you know, reporters are individuals too, and maybe, but the opportunity to maybe pry more deeply into this really unknown area of data broker. I mean, part, part of the problem is that we just don't, I mean, it's all under the covers. It's like, you know, the roaches when you turn the light on. Uh, so from a... From that perspective, do, do these laws give EFF and other groups like that more tools to help kind of dismantle this the system or, or at least open it up to light? Yeah, I, so I absolutely think so. And I think it's actually one of the most important, you know, when we talk about like incremental steps, um, right? I think this it's a huge one. Like I don't want to downplay that at all. Um, to be able to say, look, we have a legal right to know these things is a huge step. And yes, as, as a tool for advocacy, as a tool for, um, for, you know, organizational advocacy and personal advocacy. And uh, certainly I think for reporting, you've definitely already seen, you know, reporters do requests just for themselves to like hundreds of companies just to see what they get back and, you know, all that kind of information. Um, I think uh, absolutely that these are important tools for, for that. All right. So we've talked a lot about state laws and, and I've talked with several of your colleagues on the show before about how you know, there's this notion of a floor and a ceiling and how the state laws might interact with, you know, who knows if we'll ever get a federal law, but if there ever was one, how would they interact with each other? Would the federal law supersede um, uh, or with the state laws? And I know there's a lot of pros and cons either way, but kind of break that down for us and, and tell us where you guys stand on it. Sure. 
So yeah, as you say, the sort of floor ceiling dynamic is an important one. Um, I think, you know, uh, as I get California, Vermont, Illinois, these are states that have acted on their own. I think there is uh, an argument we hear often in a lot of areas of regulation, not just privacy, that, you know, it's impractical for companies mm-hmm. to have to comply with 50 states and then whatever is going on in Europe and what if European countries all have their own laws and, right. you know, there's kind of all this stuff, which, you know, I'm not unsympathetic to, but I do think that there are a lot of practices that I have concerns about and, you know, uh, I like to see laws that protect people. Yeah. So, but yeah, the question is whether if you passed a national law, would it, what they call preempt or, you know, override sort of uh, all what other states have, have done. Um, and I think our answer is, you know, if there was a strong federal privacy law that did not roll back any protections from state laws, you know, that would be good. Or, you know, if there was a, a federal privacy law that was strong, that also allowed um, states to build on basic protections, that would be even better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so uh, that law does not currently uh, exist, or I have not even seen a bill draft uh, of that law that exists. I do think with California moving and other states looking into it, that there is more um fire under mm-hmm. national legislators to work on something that um, could prevent this sort of, you know, patchwork, you know, that's, that's the, that's the um, phrase that industry likes to use, that it's a, it's a patchwork of laws. I think it, it would have to be very strong for us to agree with something that is a ceiling that is preemptive of mm-hmm. state law. Um, we would prefer a floor. And uh, that is privacy wall of fairly bipartisan issue. A lot of people like privacy. Um, that is an area where we're definitely seeing a partisan split in terms of preemption. You know, California and Illinois, uh, their representatives are both of one party. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. they're saying, you know, don't don't hurt our strong state laws. So. So let me back up and, and, and kind of get away from the, the minutia of the, the legal part. And I'm interested in your personal opinion on a couple of things. So um, do you think that Americans are apathetic to privacy? A lot of people you know, would claim that Americans apparently don't care because they give away this stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, or why is it that it seems that that the and this is a question I ask myself all the time. So I'm asking you, <laughs> uh, what, in your in your opinion, where do, where does the populace stand on this? I've seen various polls that go either way, and they they seem to be all over the map. Where where are Americans? Do you think on the sense of privacy and the urgency for these sort of laws? Yeah, I'm, so it's a great question. I think um, you know I've also seen a lot of polls uh, that say a lot of different things. So you know I think generally what I feel I can say broadly is that people feel like they don't have control and that affects people in different ways, right? Some people, when they feel like they don't have control over their information, get mad. They want to, you know, they want to fix it. They want to do things. Um, other people just sort of, uh, you know, there's, there's a sense of privacy nihilism in a lot of places, right? Where it's like, well, I don't know. They like, they're already doing it. They already have my information. Like, what am I going to do? And, I think, I mean, obviously, I am an advocate, so you know which uh, right, which yeah. reaction I have. But, um, you know, to me, there are a lot of parallels, and this is just speaking personally, of course, but, um, you know, there are a lot of parallels with, um, like, car safety laws or seatbelt laws, right, mm. where it's sort of like, okay, like, yes, this is, the companies have 
bit by bit sort of change the relationship that we have with them um, and the way that they, uh, you know, that they, that their business practices have become accepted, um, you know, uh, aren't great for the average person, but it's not, we don't have to live like this, you know, it's like every time I see, um, you know, I certainly understand why people do it, but like, you know, when they're like, oh, well, this is how to put makeup on your face so that you don't get tracked with facial recognition or, you know, the New York times did a great piece on this like couple that, um, you know, it's like a bracelet with, uh, Oh yes. I saw that. Yeah. So like to block out your smart speakers or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I get why people do that and why they pass it around. And, but like, can we just think about that for a second? Like that we're all looking at like seriously or not, but like that, you know, we're talking about like just going around with crazy makeup on our faces or Mm -hmm. like wearing microphones on our wrists. Like this is not a way that we have to live. Right. Um, Right. Right. You know, I, I certainly understand, um, you know, even things with CCPA, right, where people are like, oh, but I have to file all these requests and I have to do all these things. Like, I understand that as a heavy burden for a lot of people when you're just like trying to make rent yeah, or trying right. to pay off your hospital bill or like whatever. Like, I totally understand that. But um, I do think when you explain to people and when people explain to their lawmakers, you know, as a, as a human in my daily life, right? Like I don't want this information, right? If I, um, you know, if I transact with a business and they sell that information to a data broker and then that data broker runs a report on me with like, who knows how accurate that information is. And then that decides whether or not I get a mortgage. Like, you know, that is, that is a real consequence. And so I think to the extent as an advocate that I can articulate the everyday consequences and then the way that people can, can tell that to their legislators, like when you make it specific to people, they understand because um, people are not dumb and they see what's <laughs> happening and they just don't necessarily have the bandwidth or the energy to do anything about it. But I do think that there is even for people who've sort of become nihilists, like there is that impulse in there. And so, um, you know, I think that is common and like, you know, it's, it's an advocacy challenge in a lot of ways to make that, to bring that home to people. But I do think that even people who are like, Oh, LOL, like I have no control. Right. That even the fact that they're making that sort of joking admission does indicate that they know something is wrong. So, yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, even, you know, myself as a, I'm a software engineer and I consider myself kind of a technologist. I, I love tech. And, and, and so I, even I have some ambivalence here and, and it, to me, it comes down to trust. And, you know, if you've ever, you know, watched like the movie, her or some of the other science fiction things where there's some personal assistant, whether it's a, in your ear or that rope or an Android or whatever, that probably knows everything about you. But if, if that robot was always acting in your best interests and you could trust that, you know, you could trust whatever this entity is or company and maybe in modern terms with your data to, to be only using that data for your benefit and your benefit alone, there could be some really cool stuff happening. I mean, the problem is that they're, <laughs> that they're double dealing in a lot of cases they're, you know, they're making money out of the backside on the other stuff. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think I have a point there. I thought it was just really frustrating. Yeah, no, and I totally understand that. And like, I think, I mean, I think you're right in general. Like, if we could just trust people to be good, 
then there are a lot of laws we would need. <laughs> well, of course, um, that's true, yes. Yes, but I also think, you know, the industry has said for years, like, self-regulation, trust us, like, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, you know, EFF is both a privacy organization and an innovation organization, right? Like, we want, we like we like tech, we want it to continue mm-hmm. to develop, but we don't want it to develop in this, like, you know, almost, uh, I mean, it's certainly unfair power distribution sort of like way that it, that it's happening. Um, and that's why we see, you know, we don't want to ban Facebook from existing. Um, but we do want to make sure that, okay, well you have shown that, you know, Facebook or insert company Mm -hmm. wherever, right. That like you have shown that you can't be trusted with this information. So we have to put guardrails around you. And, you know, if you think about it, you know, the things we're asking for are not insane, right? It's like, <laughs> right. tell me what you ha- like. I mean, the most, you know, the, the, at the extreme level is like, ask me before you take my information. Yeah. <laughs> like, that doesn't actually seem like that big of a thing, mm. right? Um, so, anyway. Well, I do. I do remember that one of the one of the things I was going on with that with that train of thought was one of the things I've heard thrown around uh, is this concept of a data fiduciary. And, uh, you know, where there's financial fiduciary is when you go to, uh, you have an investment advisor and they are, if they're a financial fiduciary and they're not, they aren't all why anybody would go to someone who wasn't is beyond me, because if they're a financial fiduciary, they must counsel you to, to do things that are in your best interest, uh, financially. Have you, has EFF, you know, pursued that angle at all? Like try to come up with this, uh, formal definition of, a data fiduciary does that make sense or is that just a pipe dream um so it's certainly something that we've we've heard about we've discussed i think um you know that we have actually written about i think right now we see it as a tool in the toolbox right because it does require a lot of trust um to make a model like that work and i think you know we wouldn't want to see it instead of some of these laws that that we that we have supported but, you know, it is certainly, it's an interesting idea, and I think it, it, it does, it's a good recognition of sort of the sensitivity of data um, that people are collecting, right? Because when you think of who has fiduciary responsibilities, it's like, as you say, financial advisors, like, um, I think health professionals, right, legal mm-hmm. professionals. So, like, it gets to, um, it's helpful, I think, in terms of, like, kind of, as I said, like, highlighting how important mm-hmm. some of this information can be. Um, but yeah, like, I don't think it's, I personally don't think it's the be all and end all answer. Um, but I think it's certainly worth considering and, you know, not every company is out to screw you. <laughs> um, and so it is a, a way to sort of acknowledge that and sort of set that up as a, as a principle. Um, but yeah, one, I think one tool in the toolbox is how I would phrase it. Gotcha. Okay. Well, as I always like to do in situations like the, uh, the interviews like this is wrap up with kind of a you know, two, two prong thing, you know, get, in, get informed and get involved. Um, so get on and getting informed. If people, if people find the, themselves interested in this, besides obviously going to the EFF website, um, you guys got plenty of articles there, including you know, privacy guides. Uh, are there any other tips you might give folks for that want to learn more about this books, documentaries, anything like that? If people want to like if they're not quite, maybe they're not convinced that privacy is really an issue or they want to convince somebody else, but they don't know how to say it, you know, or they just want to learn more. Yeah. Um, oh, 
let's see, you know, I should really make a book list. I think Mm -hmm. that would be fun. Um, But uh, I will say, you know, from my reporter's frame, (laughs) there's been a lot of really great reporting on, you know, if you need a little bit of convincing on, uh, you know, on why privacy is so important, um, the New York Times uh, editorial section did a really excellent uh, kind of breakdown of, you know, how they got supposedly anonymous data and tracked individual people who were mm-hmm. in, you know, uh, through their cell phone location information. The, were those the Jeffrey Fowler series? Oh, so Jeff Fowler, um, Jeffrey Fowler, who is my former colleague, I used to work at the Washington Post, so he was my ah. former colleague. Um, he also did a really great series of articles sort of about, uh, I think, particularly kind of financial information and how they mm. can link you and, and location and, and uh, also like, apps pinging the oh, yeah. you know mm-hmm. pinging other servers and stuff like that right. um so he's another one i would definitely read um jeff uh, is great i can say that as a as a person as well <laughs> as an advocate but yeah no i was actually talking about uh, i can't remember who did it exactly but it was the new york times editorial um staff did this sort of big investigation into location data uh, okay, so now the the second part of that two prong thing, and that is get involved. Obviously, again, <laughs> uh, in my refrain whenever I have you guys on, and often when you're not, I say you know donate to the EFF. These guys are, you know, if you can't be a personal activist for these things, you know, pay someone else who's already doing it for you and doing a good job. Um, what other ways uh, might I get involved, or maybe maybe ways I might not normally think about? Yeah, well, I mean, so certainly I think about things a lot of in a lot of ways from a legislative frame. So, you know, I I think there is no harm at all in reaching out to your representative, mm-hmm. either at the state or federal level, and just saying, you know, this is really important to me. Like, this is an issue that I care about. Um, you know, I if you're in California, talk about ways to make the law stronger. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about sort of how some companies uh, are not or are interpreting it in ways that, um, you know, probably a lot of people would be surprised by. Um, so, you know, both in terms of, of closing those, uh, or I guess making those, um, differences of interpretation clear, Mm -hmm. that's always good. Or, you know, if you're not in California to say like, Hey, you know, I really care about privacy. Um, and you know, also this is a little bit of a, of a separate prong, but we're also seeing, um, in terms of, you know, if there's a type of uh, technology that really upsets you, you know, here in, in San Francisco and across the Bay in Oakland, we have uh, cities that have banned government use of face recognition mm-hmm. technology. Um, and we're certainly starting to see some of that bubble up to the state level. But, you know, I think if the whole kind of data ecosystem is abstract for you to grasp in your brain, which like is totally understandable, <laughs> um, you know, if there is a specific technology like face recognition that bothers you like that is another thing that you know it it you don't have to swing for the fences every time <laughs> right um, yeah. yeah so i think that's important to remember too awesome well Haley, thanks so much for coming on this was really a fascinating discussion and I, I knew it would be so uh welcome to the show thanks for your first and we'll definitely have to bring it back again all right well thank you so much i really enjoyed it Thank my guest again, Haley. That was a great time and uh, so appreciative that the EFF has been so good about providing people uh, to come on the show and do interviews. They've got, you know, amazing amounts of talent there 
and I've enjoyed every single interview. So I know that I'm kind of heavy on EFF, but honestly, the reason the reason that is is I've reached out to a lot of other other organizations, and it's they're not nearly as forthcoming. So uh, to that end, if for some reason someone listening to the podcast has an in uh, with some of these uh, security or privacy organizations, uh, please shoot me an email and, and uh, make a connection. Uh, you can reach me at feedback at firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com. I'm sure some of the folks listening to this must have connections. It's one of those two or three degrees of separation things. We all know a lot of people. So, uh, yeah, if you happen to have an in somewhere at the ACLU or Center for Democracy and Technology or the uh, Electronic Privacy Information Center or know an author who has done a book on cybersecurity or privacy, put us in touch uh, and maybe we'll get a chance to bring them on for an interview. I'll also remind you again that uh, if you want to make a difference but don't have a lot of time on your hands, uh, donate money to people who do. Uh, and that would certainly include the EFF. I'll have a link to their donate page on the uh, show notes. But of course, you can just find it easily by searching for it. And there are some of the other organizations I just mentioned, the uh, Center for Democracy and Technology, Epic, and some of those other folks are doing some great work as well. So uh, take your pick and uh, help fund some of these great organizations that are out there fighting for your rights every day all right and i will leave it there until next week everybody as always stay safe out there and don't get caught with your drawbridge down